Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. I do want to encourage you to make sure you never miss an episode. Follow the podcast using your favorite podcast software, including TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or the iHeartRadio app. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the program using the Zelle app to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Also, if you are watching it on YouTube, you can donate directly by sending a super thanks using the dollar sign located right on the viewing screen. Now it's time for this week's episode of Dangerous Assignment. The original air date is September the 29th of 1950 and the title is Forged Identification Papers Ring. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though. Trouble. When I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize this assignment's going to wind up with me staking my life on a bluff and then finding out, much to my surprise, that I wasn't bluffing at all. Morning, Commissioner. Ruth said you wanted to see me. Steve, last night three men landed in Miami by plane. They were picked up in a limousine. The local police chased them and the car crashed, killing all three men. So, what's all this got to do with us, Commissioner? One of those men was a well-known foreign agent. Oh, I see. How about the other two? A check uh, was made on their identities. Phony, both of them. Oh, you mean they were carrying phony identification papers? No, the papers were legitimate enough, but they didn't belong to the men who were carrying them. We believe those papers were stolen from U.S. citizens who were traveling abroad. And in each case, those citizens were traveling alone and unattached. Mm. Five will get to ten that also, in each case, those U.S. citizens are dead right now. Exactly. Steve, it looks like we're up against a clever and vicious scheme to get foreign agents into the States. Yeah, they grab one of our tourists, bump him off, take his papers, and then slip one of their boys into the States with those papers. We've got to work fast. We don't know how many times they've pulled this trick so far, but we've got to keep them from continuing. Get down to Miami, Steve. Backtrack their operation until you find out who's behind it. Then smash it once and for all. Well, I said, you've got your assignment. Good luck. The National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Well, ordinarily, there's nothing I'd like better than a trip to Miami, but from the look on the commissioner's face, I've got a strong hunch I won't be spending my time 
water skiing through a blue lagoon with a beautiful doll perched on my shoulder. My plane lands there on Friday morning, and I head for the immigration office. Oh, Mitchell, we've been expecting you. I've got some luggage here you might be interested in looking through. This stuff here? Yeah, just help yourself. Huh? This is the stuff that originally belonged to the tourists that we think these foreign agents murdered and then impersonated. Mm, routine stuff, clothes, curios. Yeah, yeah, that suitcase that you're going through now belonged to a Harold Davis. Yeah, according to my information, three guys landed here in Miami and were whisked away in a limousine. Yeah, that's right. When their car crashed, they were all killed. And that's where we recovered this luggage and those identification papers. But it didn't take us long to discover that the men in the car didn't belong to this stuff. Oh, what kind of a plane did they land in? A regular passenger plane. Caribbean Airlines from Trinidad. Mm. Hmm? Well, what is it? Hey, this picture here in the suitcase. Is this the real Davis? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's Davis, all right. Or well, maybe you should say it was Davis. <laughs> that girl with him in the picture, that's not bad. Not bad at all. You say the guy who was impersonating Davis flew in from Trinidad, and... Yeah, that's right. You think that this picture was taken there? I know it was. I recognize the hotel in the background. Oh. Well, in other words, this picture shows that the real Davis was in Trinidad. But the man who flew up here from Trinidad wasn't Davis. Well, that means that... That means that Trinidad is my next stop. So the trail's warming up. At this point, it looks like Trinidad is the spot where the switch has been taking place. I realize I've got to operate undercover and fast. So far, we've managed to keep that auto crash in Miami a secret, but it's only a question of time before the outfit that's running the racket finds out we're on their trail, and when they do, they'll drop their quaint little habit of bumping off tourists and concentrate on bumping off the guy who's after them, namely me. My plane lands in Trinidad the next afternoon, as usual. It's hot, but I've got an uneasy feeling that before I wind this one up, it's going to get a little hotter. I scout around to find the office of the Caribbean Airlines. Back of the counter, a tall, skinny gent is sleepily fanning himself with a travel folder. Oh, good afternoon, sir. Are you the ticket agent here? Yeah. What charming and delightful spot in the Caribbean do you want to fly to? You sound bitter. Well... This morning, I didn't get a job I was counting on back in the States, and I also didn't get a raise here. Instead, I got a heat rash. I should be happy. Courage, Camille. Thanks, old man. (laughs) Now, uh, where do you want to go, or did you just want to browse through some rare travel folders? I'm checking on a friend of mine, a guy named Harold Davis. Oh, what about him? Uh, I owe him some dough, and somebody told me he left Trinidad by plane the day before yesterday. I thought you might be able to check it for me. Okay. Oh, oh Davis. Davis. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Uh, Harold Davis took off for Miami night before last, flight 17. Hmm. Wonder why he decided to leave here. This is something we don't ordinarily ask our customers. Well. Did make the reservation in person? Well, no. It was handled through Interocean. Interocean? Mm-hmm. Travel agency here in Trinidad. I see. You uh, happen to have their address? Yeah. Here's their card. It's uh, just down the street. Thanks. I... What's the matter? Uh, oh, nothing. I won't keep you up any longer. So long. What snapped me into action is a girl walking along the sidewalk outside the airline office. I only get a brief glimpse, but it's enough to tell me that that's the same girl who posed with the real Davis in that picture I found in the suitcase. I go outside and follow her down the street. A few doors down, she turns into an office, and that's where I get my second surprise, because there's a sign on the door, Inter-Ocean Travel Agency, the outfit that's been booking passengers on Caribbean Airlines. Now I know the trail's heating up. I follow her inside. Hello. Hi. What can I do for you? Well, that's what I came in here to find out. 
You run this travel agency? Sort of. I'm Miss Gray. Susan Gray. You a tourist here? Uh, yeah, sort of. Sounds like you're a little at loose ends right now. <laughs> Matter of fact, I am. Maybe it's just that I'm running out of places to go and things to do. Can't your wife suggest something? I'm not married. I see. Traveling alone? Yeah. Well, I'd be very happy to suggest any number of interesting little side trips. Good. That is, if you're not on any fixed schedule. What I mean is, is there anyone in the States who's expecting you back at any particular time? No, I'm what you might call completely unattached. Oh, well, in that case... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I could sure use someone to show me around Trinidad. That is, if you happen to have any spare time. I think that could be arranged. Um... Steve Mitchell. Okay. Tell you what, Steve. I'll try to line up a little trip for you. Then we can talk about seeing some of the sights around Trinidad. Where can I reach you? Hispaniola Hotel. I'll be hearing from you then, Susan. Yes, you will, Steve. And very soon. I start back to my hotel. So I dangle a little alone and unattached bait in front of little Susan's nose, and she snaps it up like an underfed cobra, which is all very fine, except that what it boils down to is that I'm setting myself up as a grade A clay pigeon. Then, as I'm walking down the street, I pass a bar, and I hear a very familiar voice. I shove open the door and go in. It's my old friend, Lord Byron, the Calypso singer. Come to the trade winds bar for your drinks. The price is right and the food, it's good too. <laughs> and Lord Byron spots me at the bar and his face lights up like a neon sign. Oh, once was a brave man, Steve Mitchell here. The best ever came to Trinidad Colony. He made a friend of Lord Byron, that's me. And both of us went sailing out to sea. We ran into bad men in diving suits and had much trouble, you can bet your boots. But when all the fighting was over and done, the bad men had lost and Steve Mitchell had won. Steve. Steve Mitchell. Hello, Lord Byron. Hey, look, thanks for the free publicity, but I just assumed that nobody knew I'd ever been to Trinidad before. But why, Steve? At present, I'm making like a typical tourist. Oh, you're after someone again, Steve? That's right. Why don't you give it up, Steve? Huh? Always you look for bad men. Why don't you forget it? Now, me, I'm a happy man. This is the life here. To go fish, to go sail, to lie in the sun... To be happy. That's nice work if you can get it. There is more to life than this? Well, I guess there shouldn't be, but I... Well, what's the matter, Steve? That girl who just came in. Girl? Oh, sure. She's nice looking, Steve. You want to meet her? I've already met her. Susan Gray works for a travel agency. Does she come in here often? Oh, yes. She comes in here almost every night. Uh, the tourists, she's always with them. I see. Well, that checks... Okay, I think I'll go have another talk with her. Be careful, Steve. No trouble. No trouble. Hi. Well, hello, Steve. I was just thinking about you. How was it? Hmm? The thinking. Nice. When do we start seeing the town together? Tonight, maybe? Oh, I'm sorry. I have plans tonight, but we'll make it real soon. Okay. And in the meantime, I'm trying to line up a little trip you might be interested in. Oh, good evening, my dear. Oh, Hello, Carlos. I do not believe I have met this man. Well, you couldn't have very well. I just met him a couple of hours ago myself. Steve Mitchell, Carlos Gelder. Hello. 
This man is perhaps bothering you, my dear? Of course not. He seems to be presuming upon a very short acquaintance. Look, Buster, is there any law against talking to a girl in a bar? In this particular part of the world, there uh, are many unwritten laws covering various subjects. Oh, what subjects, for instance? For instance, you. Carlos, please. Just a minute, Susan. Okay, Gelder. Just what are those unwritten laws covering me? The same which apply to anyone who seeks to tread on forbidden ground. I could take that either of two ways. You may choose whichever you like, but just be certain that you do take it. Okay, for the time being. And I can assure you I am not talking in terms of the time being. Yeah, yeah. See you later, kid. Steve, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get in touch with you later. So, Steve, she's a popular young lady. Too popular, Lord Byron. Who's that little gent in the white suit I was just exchanging gay repartee with? Oh, he's a bad man, Steve. Stay away from him. Oh? Carlos Gelda. He's a very powerful man. What's he do? No one knows. But in Trinidad, his name means trouble. I see. He and Susan seem pretty thick. One trouble plus one trouble. He's double trouble. Hey, wait a minute. They're leaving together. No, Steve. Yeah, yeah, I know. No trouble. See you later, Lord Byron. By the time I get outside, Susan and Gelder are nowhere in sight. I start along the sidewalk, and suddenly there's a guy walking beside me. A grinning native. I speed up. He stays with me. I stop. He throws a shoulder at me and sends me lurching into the alley. I whirl around. There's another guy in the alley waiting for me, also with a big grin on his face. And in his hand is a wicked-looking knife with a spring blade. He edges towards me quietly. The knife held low and pointing up. The first guy is somewhere behind me. I flatten myself against the wall and wait, watching the knifer's eyes. He starts to jab. I swing my butt. The knife goes flying, but the guy just keeps grinning and moving in. I dive to the end of the valley, but the first guy jumps on me. I give him a left, but too late. They're both swarming all over me. One of them pins my arms. The other starts working me over. He's doing a good job on me. Body punches enough to hurt, but not enough to knock me out. After what seems like an hour, I guess he gets tired. He winds up and lets fly with one to my face. And that does it. Here's a word about another NBC Chime favorite returning to the air this fall. It's Chester A. Riley, played by William Bendix in the hilarious Life of Riley. Riley will be back over most of these stations just one week from today. Chester may not be the combination of lady killer, star athlete, and mental giant he thinks he is, but Mom, Babs, and Junior love him anyway. And you'll love them all, even the friendly undertaker, Digger O'Dell, when the Life of Riley returns just one week from tonight. The Chimes are your invitation. Now, back to Dangerous Assignment and Steve Mitchell. Steve, Steve. Oh. Steve. Come on, Steve. Steve. Uh, oh, Lord Byron. What happened, Steve? Oh, I wasn't playing tic-tac-toe. I don't know. Steve, it's no good. Someone was giving you a warning. Oh, uh, come on back into the bar with me. I couldn't use a drink along about now. Look, did Susan and Gelder come back into the bar after I left? No, I, I didn't see them. Steve, mm. Lord Byron is your friend. He gave you good advice. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's trouble. <laughs> I'm afraid it's a little late in the game to back out now. Come on, let's go on over to the bar. So just them another guy sticks his head out and says, now get this. 
You says, okay, wise guy, how are you going to get back? <laughs> Don't you get it? How are you going to get back? <laughs> yeah, that's the trouble. You guys just don't appreciate a good American joke. Scotch and soda, bartender. Hey, another American. Huh? Oh, yeah, another American. Clay's the name, friend. Abner H. Clay. Put her there. Hi. Mitchell's mine. Here, let me buy you a drink. Thanks, but I... Uh, I insist, friend, I insist. Okay, thanks. Well, 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 well. It sure is good to run into another traveler from the blessed land. Huh? Uh, yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, friend. I'm having a whale of a lot of fun on this trip, but I just haven't seen anything that compares with a little old hometown, good old Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, sir. Say, say, I got a great idea. Why don't you and me do this town up together? Thanks a lot, but no thanks. Oh, come on. Say, I can show you places you never even dreamed about. And girls? I suppose you've even got a chicken inspector badge, too, huh? Uh, what? Skip it. Oh. Uh, come on, friend. Let's make a night of it, huh? What do you say? After all, it's my last night here for a few days. I want to make the most of it. What do you mean, your last night? Well, I'm going to take a little boat trip around the islands. We shove off first thing in the morning. We? Uh, just small party. About three others, I think. Just a minute. Are you, by any chance, traveling alone, Clay? Alone? I sure am. You know, tell you how it happened. I was sitting there in my office in Milwaukee three months ago, and I suddenly said to myself, Abner, my boy, what you need is a vacation. So, here I am. I see. And this little boat trip you're leaving on in the morning, mind telling me who arranged that for you? Not at all, my friend. Inter-Ocean Travel Agency, right here in town. Hey, there's a little lady there who is just... Uh, Susan? Yes. You know her? Slightly. Oh, she's sure been mighty sweet to me. I don't doubt it. Oh, come on, friend. Why don't you change your mind and make the rounds with me tonight? I just did change my mind. Let's go, friend. someplace, huh, Steve? Well, it looks about the same as the last five bars we've been in, Clay. Look, this boat trip you're taking in the morning, yeah. they told you where you're going? Oh, they said we'd poke around a few little islands in the out-of-the-way places. Uh -huh. I suppose you're taking all your luggage and papers with you. Well, that's right. Matter of fact, they told us to be sure and bring them. Oh? Well, they said we might stay longer than we expected if found places we like. I see. Look, Clay, I... But... What's the matter, friend? Somebody just walked in. Huh? Oh, it, oh, it's Susan. Hey, Mitchell, I got a great idea. Why don't you come along on this trip? Huh? Well, I don't know. It's pretty short notice. Well, uh, Susan, Susan. Hmm? Oh, <laughs> well, it's Mr. Clay and Steve. Hello, Susan. I'm glad I ran into you again. Uh, where's your boyfriend, Gelder? Oh, we had a quarrel. I'm awfully sorry about that scene he caused at the Tradewinds bar. I collected a few lumps in an alley right after that. What? But I don't suppose you or Gelder would know anything about that. Of course not. I, I don't understand, Steve. I'll skip it. Oh, uh, say, Susan, I just had me a great idea. What is it, Mr. Clay? Well, Steve and me, we gotten to be old buddies, and I was wondering, why couldn't he go along on this boat trip in the morning? I was working on a trip for Steve a little later on. I I'm afraid the one tomorrow is pretty well booked up. 
Oh, well, I'll bet you could change that little lady. <laughs> now, couldn't you? Well, I suppose I could make some last-minute arrangements. I'd sure appreciate it. All right. There, that's my girl. That's my girl, all right. Yeah, how about that, Steve? Uh, Isn't yeah. that swell? Yeah, yeah. All right, now I'll tell you what. Meet me down at the dock at 7 tomorrow morning, okay? All right, Clay, I'll be there. Well, things are turning out a little differently than I'd bargained for. I'd figured on having more time to find out a few things about the Inter-Ocean Travel Agency before I took one of their little trips. But now here I am, scheduled to sail in the morning. I'm not sure I like it, but I don't have any choice. To back out would probably arouse their suspicions, and besides, looks like I'm stuck playing nursemaid to the happy American tourist, Clay, who's looking for all the world like the pigeon of the same name right now. The next morning, I take my luggage down to the dock at 7 o'clock. Susan and Clay are already there beside a small motor launch. Morning, Mitchell. Hi. Come on board, Steve. Okay. Well, where... All the other passengers. They should be along any minute. How many are there? Three. Oh, great morning for a trip, huh? Yeah, but how about this boat? It doesn't seem to look big enough for much cruising. Oh, this is just a launch that'll take you to an island down the coast away. You'll pick up the cruise boat there. I see. Oh, here comes one of the other passengers now. I... No, no, I guess it isn't. Hey, it's that Calypso singer. Huh? Hey, Lord Byron. Oh, Steve. Uh... What's the matter, Lord Byron? Uh, nothing, nothing, I came down to give you a goodbye serenade. Oh? Well, you really get service, Steve. Yeah, so it seems. Now, where else could you find atmosphere like this, huh, friend? Okay, let her go, Lord Byron. Oh, Steve Mitchell came down to Trinidad And met a girl who soon made him glad She worked for a travel agency And arranged little trips for a modest fee Well, thanks for the plug. Then Steve met a tourist in the bar last night Who took him around and showed him the sights But poor Steve Mitchell, he doesn't see That the tourist owns a travel agency Well, uh, a happy trip, Steve Lord Byron, come on back here But you see, I've got to... You're not going anywhere, friend Come on, get in the boat, move Very well Well... Thanks for the try anyway, Lord Byron. Sure, Steve. Okay, Susan, shove off. What about the other passengers? We can't wait for them now. We'll take care of these two birds first and then come back for the others. Get going. All right. You've been the big boy in this deal all along, Clay, huh? I sure have, friend. Well, I guess congratulations are in order. That's quite an act you put on being the great American tourist. Not bad at all, is it? And with Susan giving them the come on, I don't suppose you have much trouble getting all the unsuspecting tourists you need. We haven't had much trouble so far, and that's the way we're going to keep it. Do you mind telling me where we're going? Not at all, friend. Tobago Island, a little way down the coast. But you know, it really shouldn't matter much to you where you're going. As I'll tell you something, you and Lord Byron aren't coming back. <laughs> Steve and Lord Byron got big troubles now. They're locked up in the cabin of a little scow. The bad man tell them they're holding the sack. They go to an island, but they don't come back. Hey, look, will you lay off? It's bad enough being cooped up in here waiting for the axe without you making a musical comedy of it. All right, Steve. But 
Why is he taking us to Tobago Island? That's probably where his agents are hiding out, waiting. It's probably also the tourist graveyard. Incidentally, where is Tobago Island? We've been cruising about two hours. There's another hour left to go. Well, I... Wait a minute. We're turning and slowing up. I'm going to take a look out the portal. Hey, I thought you said it was another hour to Tobago Island. That's right, Steve. Well, don't look now, but there's a little island right in front of us. What? Yeah, and we're heading toward what looks like a little abandoned dock. Let, let me see. Huh. It's not Tobago Island. It's San Miguel. I wonder why the switch. Are you familiar with this island? Sure, Steve. Deserted island. I was here once. All right, friend. All on deck. I thought you said we were going to Tobago Island, Clay. We were. But Susan and I got to figuring. Maybe you were a little wiser to our operation than you've been letting on. I still don't get you, Clay. Maybe you already knew Tobago Island was our rendezvous point. Maybe before you came down to the dock this morning, you arranged to have a little help show up there. All right, come on ashore. Seems to me you're giving me a lot of credit, Clay. Well, I figure it's always safer to overestimate the opposition than underestimate them. So, Susan, I spotted this little deserted island and figured it'd be a convenient place to stop for a while. I will lead the way. There, there is no train. Oh, just don't get too far ahead of us. You've got the whole deal figured out, haven't you? I sure have, friend. Look, it seems to me you're taking care of Lord Byron and me the hard way. You could have tied us up and thrown us overboard. No. There's always a chance your bodies would start drifting around and be discovered. Much better to have you safely buried in the ground. I see. Just like you did with the other tourists, huh? <laughs> you catch on quick, Mitchell. This underbrush is pretty thick. Follow closely in my tracks and you will have no trouble. Hey, he's an obliging guy all of a sudden, isn't he? Yeah, I don't get it. Well, here's a little clearing. Yes, this is where we stop. All right, it's as good as any. So this is the last stop, huh? For you and Lord Byron. For all of us. What do you mean? This San Miguel Islands is a very bad place. What are you talking about? Steve, you've heard the legend of San Miguel, haven't you? Legend of... Oh, yeah, why, sure, sure. It's supposed to be a pretty bad place, isn't it? Yes, a very bad place. Look, bluffing's not going to do you two any good now. It's no bluff. I'll tell you the story of San Miguel. Once came a man to this island here. He built a house and he built a pier. Then he walked into this jungle so nice and green. And never anymore was he seen. Look, what are you giving us anyway? It's the truth, Susan. I remember it all now. The ground opened up and down he went. The earth closed over him without a dent. But on some nights you can still hear him say, From San Miguel Island, stay away. All right, all right, that's enough of your silly songs. It's not a silly song, Clay, it's truth. All over the island, quicksand. Quicksand? Sure, that's it, quicksand. The whole place is quicksand under it. Every once in a while, the crust over it collapses. All right. I said cut out the fairy tale. It's no fairy tale. Look, Lord Byron's the only one who knows where to walk safely. You kill us and you'll never make it back to the beach. Clay, what if he's telling the truth? Uh, they're not telling the truth. I tell you, they're bluffing. What was that? Probably a hunk of ground collapsing. Shut up, Mitchell. It's just an animal of some kind. Was it? There it is again. Where did it come from? Came from right over there. Thanks for turning your head away. Yeah, let go of me, Mitchell. Drop that gun before I break your arm. So, 
the quicksand story was a bluff. Sure. It worked. Fire and sharpen. I figured now. Drop that gun. That's better. I'll get it. Oh, no, Susan. I'll take the gun. Clay, come back here. Let him go, Steve. Let him go, are you crazy? Clay! Now he's out of sight. You will not go far, Steve. What? Clay. What happened? Don't move anyone. But what happened to Clay? He's gone. Quicksand. What? Quicksand? But I thought you... I was telling the truth. It's San Miguel, very bad place. Oh, brother. All this time I thought we were just bluffing. Come on, let's get out of here. Lord Byron, very happy to do just that. Look, you can't leave me here. Don't worry. You've got a date with a jail, Susan, and I imagine the Harbor Patrol will be happy to head for Tobago Island to pick up Clay's boys. Well, uh... Let's go back to the beach, Steve. Okay, but just one thing now. Oh, Steve's friend, Lord Byron, has saved the day. And under the quicksand, you'll find clay. Now, two more words, and then I'm through. My dear Lord Byron, after you. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian Jandot, with music by Basil Adlam, and is produced and directed by Bill Carn. Be with us again next week at this time, when Brian Donlevy, starring as Steve Mitchell, will embark on another Dangerous Assignment. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Saturday night chimes mean Dennis Day and Judy Canova. Dennis Day will be back on Saturday, October 7th, just one week from tomorrow, with more songs and merry, mischievous mix-ups. The Judy Canova show returns on the same day. And when Judy and her pals get together, it's 30 minutes of mountain-style music and mayhem. The chimes are your invitation to Dennis Day and Judy Canova. And now, stay tuned for Dimension X on NBC. Welcome back. Well, this is the first time on Dangerous Assignment that we've heard the return of a recurring character. Even on The Man Called X, no one really recurred other than perhaps Pagon's relatives. Which may indicate that there were a lot of listeners who enjoyed the episode in which Lord Byron first appeared. Or perhaps that either writer or actor just wanted to do more. Either way, it was nice to have him back, and nice to have a little bit of continuity. And I did my best not to spoil the surprise. I actually thought that Steve's conversation with Lord Byron in the bar was a much better tease scene than the one with him talking to the guy in Miami, but we used the 
one with the guy in Miami, so we didn't spoil that for you. William Conrad is back again as the heavy and does a good job with a couple of different voices. We get a nice example of his range uh, in this episode as the fake character he played was very different from the actual character. So he was clearly having some fun with it. Uh, though I have to say that I became suspicious of Conrad's character. Well, I was almost certain that he was in back of it when he persuaded the lady from the travel agency to make room for Steve. They're not going to do that for just your typical unassuming American tourist. But at last, Steve didn't get it, so that left it up to Lord Byron to try and bail him out. It was a risky tactic, but I think Lord Byron had to be betting that he would get a little bit more time to make his escape as the criminal would be stunned by the fact of having the finger put on him with a Calypso song. I mean, for many criminals, that would take a few seconds to process. There'd be plenty that'd be like, wait, what? what, what just happened here? But the villain got undone by his own paranoia. I mean, Steve had no way of knowing what island they were going to. So once again, Steve's greatest ally comes through in the pinch. Dumb luck. Or in this case, his second greatest ally in this episode. The first, of course, being Lord Byron. And I do want to say that I admire the skills of someone like Lord Byron who can come up with these sort of songs improv on the fly. Now, there is some basic mechanics to it because something like the Calypso, uh, it, it's got a very specific structure. But then that's got to be merged with the creativity and the spontaneity to be able to make a song on the spot. Whatever particular style you're working with, I really respect and enjoy those sort of performers. It's such a fantastic talent and takes a lot to develop. Probably the most unrealistic part of the episode is that Steve can halfway do that. Of course, I guess the writer just can't resist the idea of Brian Donlevy attempting Calypso, so he's got to write it in there. I found myself wondering about the line, Courage Camille, that Steve spoke to the guy at the travel office. That actually came from a play by Alexander Dumas, Camille, the Lady of the Camillus, which was written in 1857. More relevant to Dangerous Assignment, uh, Bob Hope delivered the line in the comedy film The Ghost Breakers in 1940. So the line had uh, a resurgence of popularity and pop culture relevancy that would make it a fitting choice to include in a radio program. All right, well, listener comments and feedback now. And we have a couple of comments on YouTube. Regarding the episode, Get Gouda Before the Gunrunners, Eileen says, It makes no sense to sneak into someone's closet in a hotel and wait for the hero to show to then shoot them. My husband shook his head at that. Well, Eileen, I can definitely understand the reaction. I think the only way that it would make some sense is 
if you're trying to frame the hero and you know the hero is going to show up. And apparently that was the case in that particular episode. And that's what they ended up trying to do to Steve. It's a very high-risk gambit, so if it pays off, you may end up making the United States look even worse. I think there was some logic in it. Then we have a comment from a listener, I believe Ronser. And he writes, so how long was National Wheaties Week? I guess General Mills could declare any week Wheaties Week so they could invite us to buy as many packages of Wheaties. Wonder if an ad campaign like that would work today. Well, thanks so much for the question. My cynical initial answer was that Wheaties was wanting to make National Wheaties a week like a lot of folks want to make uh, Christmas. You know, you keep the spirit of it all year. But I decided to do some more actual research into it, rather than just being snarky about it. And I searched for National Wheaties Week and found out that uh, you are not the first person to notice how interminable National Wheaties Week was. Someone mentioned it in a Facebook group in 2019. Then I opened newspaper.com and searched for 1950 National Wheaties Week. And what I found is that uh, there were advertisements for National Wheaties Week in newspapers for the entire month of August. But it did seem to be scattered throughout the month. I found a page from the Pocono uh, Record from August the 8th of 1950 uh, that uh, says, Take Dad to the Ball Game. Wheaties present Father and Sun's Night. Uh, at Thursday, August 10th, Gordon Giffel's Field, the Poconos versus the Nazareth Barons. Boys and girls, 15 years or old, under, admitted free with a Wheaties box top. An issue of the Sunbury Daily Item, there was a similar uh, promotion for Family Night, where boys and girls 15 years or unders will be admitted free with a Wheaties box top when accompanied by an adult to the Tuesday, August 29th a game between the Sunbury A's and the Allentown Cards. In the Lincoln, Nebraska paper, there was something a bit more standard uh, with an ad for the uh, s uh, several supermarkets where... Uh, you could get two large boxes of Wheaties for 29 cents or two giant boxes for 43 cents and you could get a bottle of Pepsi Cola free with the purchase of two packages of Wheaties. So while what we might be hearing on the radio is it seems like National Wheaties Week is going on a long time, it really does appear that National Wheaties Week was happening in different weeks in different parts of the country. Which, if I might speculate, would seem to be a move to avoid having your corporate headquarters overwhelmed. And also with those different minor league uh, teams that were cooperating with National Wheaties Week, they wouldn't have all of the same days available. And so as an advertiser on network radio, you were advertising a national campaign for several weeks, even though it was kind of rolling throughout the country in terms of where it was actually available. Although the nature of National Wheaties Week was not uh, 
unnoticed, uh, I did find an item in the Waco News Tribune for September 26th, 1950. Is there a high authority that decides about weeks? The situation seems to be in a state of absolute freedom, i.e. anarchy. An acquaintance reports hearing a voice on the radio proclaiming at intervals weeks apart that this was National Wheaties Week. That logically moves one to suggest that there is one week that really should be observed. The seven-day week. And no, I don't think that sort of promotion would work in today's world, or at least it would not work nearly as easily. We spend a lot more time focusing on such things, and you also have instantaneous contact from different regions of the country. I have to admire it as an example of business planning and logistics at its finest to coordinate all of these uh, Wheaties weeks. I mean, it had to be some complicated undertaking. I can just imagine the guy they hired to uh, do it. Well, I I'll tell you, sir, we'd love to have you on board, but if you come on board, this is going to be the planning challenge of your entire career. And I can imagine the applicant saying something like, you know, I helped Eisenhower plan the invasion of Europe. I can handle anything you have for me. And the Wheaties people would be like, well, that whole invasion and liberation of Europe was glorious. But let me tell you what we have here. National Wheaties Week. But it's not just one week, really. It's several weeks. Depending on what city you live in, coordinated with numerous pro, uh, pro sports teams, local grocery stores, regional grocery store chains, as well as national radio advertising. And the applicant said, I've always wanted to try something a little bit more challenging. And on that note, it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I do want to go ahead and thank Tammy. Tammy has been one of our Patreon supporters since September 2020, currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Tammy. And that will actually do it for today. A reminder, if you want to be sure to never miss an episode of the podcast, I do encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software, including Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, or the Apple Podcast app. Next Tuesday, we'll be bringing you Michael Piper, Private Detective. And next Wednesday, another episode of Dangerous Assignment. But be sure and join us tomorrow for Follow Vance, where... Come in, please, won't you? Thank you. Sit down, if you will, and tell me how I can help you. Oh, Mr. Vance. No, it's quite all right. You're safe. Won't you calm yourself and tell me what's troubling you? Mr. Vance, I... I saw him. I heard him speak. Heard who speak? My husband. Well, that doesn't sound like anything to break you up this way. But you don't understand. No, I don't imagine I do. What's so unusual about seeing your husband and hearing him speak? He's dead. I buried him ten months ago. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off. <laughs>